just say, God's been good to me. You ought to just let hell know. Raise up your banner and say, God's been good to me. You ought to let hell know, God's given me victory. God's given me victory. God's given me victory. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise and a shout of victory in this house. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord here on this Wednesday night. Amen. Thankful for everybody that took the time out of their schedule to be here and to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Praying God's going to do great things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn open to the book of Matthew chapter 5. The book of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Praise God. We're going to be continuing on here tonight in our teaching. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor, or as we talked about last week, his identity, just thinks it's just another mineral, just another rock, its purpose gets changed. Wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on the hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Everybody say good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Everybody say fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Say fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Whosoever shall do and teach them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Who wants to be great? Amen. Other folks, I believe you, you came tonight because you want to be great in the kingdom. I'm going to teach us on this subject. We're going to continue on Keys to Kingdom Greatness, Part 2. We're going to talk about doing. Everybody say doing. Amen. Set down your Bibles, lift up your hands, and let's pray all across this house. Amen. God, I pray that you would take this word, and God, that you would help apply it to our lives, God. That you would take every bit of this word, God, and that you would man that you would make something out of it, God. Amen. That this word would not just amen rattle around in our ears, but God, that it would go down to the heart, and that it would go from the heart, amen, into the actions, amen, of your people. I'm praying, God, that there's great people you set before me, God, and I pray, help me, Lord, through your word to pull greatness out of them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Man, keys to kingdom greatness part two doing and we are talking we are continuing on in the sermon on the mount we have not stopped talking about the sermon on the mount because the sermon on the mount is when jesus said that you are blessed if you if you are some of these things if you uh, manifest some of these things but furthermore there are some actions that you can take to be blessed. And this year, we're talking about the year of favor. So I want to continue on helping people uh, obtain the favor of God. Amen. And I believe that we're going to do that uh, this, this, this week as well. 
So we talked last week about being. This week we're going to talk about doing. And the next time we come together and I am teaching, we're going to talk about duplicating. And so uh, t- tonight I'm going to just talk a little bit about doing. Uh, but before we can get to the doing, we got to go back and recap a little bit about being. Everybody say being. Everything that we do stems from our being. Everybody say being. We talked a lot about identity last week, and, uh, and, and I've learned in dealing with people and through the study of God's Word that God is big on identity. Uh, in fact, this is why most of the Bible is God revealing Himself to us. God is showing us His being, showing us His identity. And, uh, and then we find mankind. They are learning from God what their identity is. Because everything that we do, our actions, stems from either our identity or our perception of our identity. I am convinced, after dealing with people for many years, not just since I've been here, but in all the years I've dealt with people, in fact, being a people, I've learned this even from myself, that 99% of our problems could be fixed if we could see ourselves the way that God sees us. I am convinced that if we knew the way God called us and the way God identified us, that we could eradicate 99% of our challenges and our problems. Amen. Uh, but, but this is the part of the problem with the fall of man, that they now saw themselves as naked and ashamed. Even though God never called them that, he never saw them in that light. In fact, uh, they did sin. But I want you to notice something. God never saw them differently. He knew that they were naked well before they did. He knew that they were human well before they did. And how often is that the case with us? Amen. That God sees us. You ever heard somebody say this? I can't believe I did. I can't believe I went. And there are people that say that. But God never looks down from heaven and says, man, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they went there. God's not surprised and God's not shocked because God knows our identity better than we do. God knows our flaws and our frailties. David put it this way. You, oh God, know my frame. You know how frail I am. You know I am but a man. And God looks down from heaven and he sees us as we are. Amen. But when when mankind sinned, God didn't see them differently, but they started seeing themselves differently. When they opened up their physical eyes, it also opened up their critical eyes. Now they saw themselves as filthy. They saw themselves as naked. They saw themselves as shameful. And God never called them that. God never said that about them. God never identified that about them. And I want to tell you here today that the wrong perception of who we are will lead to actions that don't line up with the identity God has for us. And the wrong perception of that, you know, it's identification. And then what most people struggle with is misidentification. That's where we miscategorize things and we put things in the wrong box. And sometimes we do that with ourselves. And I'll never forget when I first got saved, I would make a mistake and, and I would just I would just sigh in, in exasperation. I would say, oh, man, I'm such a devil. Uh, as if my mistakes have now made me demonic. I want to help you here today. God never said that about you and I. And I'll never forget the day the Holy Ghost checked me and said, you are misidentifying yourself. Hallelujah. You are misidentifying yourself. You are saying that my being is flawed, that my being is less than. This is what the biggest challenge is in our world. Amen. Especially with uh, uh, modern cosmetics and uh, cosmetic surgeries and filters, things that are digital, and you don't even have to go under a knife. Uh, It's them saying that I'm not good enough the way that God made me, and so they misidentify themselves uh, as being less than. But the Bible identifies that we are fearful. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's people that would not change one thing about themselves if they identified properly that God made me right. Let me help you. Our world would not be struggling with what gender they are if they could identify themselves correctly and say, God did not make a mistake. 
Can I preach to the men? You don't need to strut like a lady. God made you a man, so be one. God didn't make a mistake when he made you a man. And ladies, he didn't make a mistake when he made you a lady, so don't try to be a man. Praise God. Somebody ought to clap your hands. That's good teaching, good preaching. called us crazy when we drew lines about men dressing like men and ladies dressing like ladies. But who's laughing now? People aren't laughing now. People are now confused. They're going and thinking, what am I going to do with my kids? This is why the apostolic church cannot misidentify themselves and try to be like the world. I want to help you here today. Ladies, keep dressing like a lady. Men, keep dressing like a man. Because now, more than ever, it matters that we identify ourselves correctly. Amen. If you're a man, let them know I'm a man. Talk like a man. Walk like a man. Live like a man. Hallelujah. Lower your voice. Chew on some gravel. Do something. Amen. Just start being more of a man. Because this world wants you to start being fluid. Where we don't know what you are. And now you're non-binary. I'm not here to bash nobody or hurt nobody. Amen. But what I'm telling us here today is we've got to identify ourselves the way God identifies us. If you're a man, be a man. If you're a lady, be a lady. Because there's a world that's coming in, that's coming from misidentification, that's coming from misinformation. They've been lied to. They've been told and they've been sold a bill of goods that you can be whatever you choose. Uh, amen. But God made you male or God made you female. And when they come into church, they don't need to be confused about what's what. Hallelujah. When they come to church, they need to know. Uh, so that's what a man looks like. Uh, that's what a man acts like. Uh, that's... Hallelujah. I know what it is. I came in from the world. Amen. And, and you know, the world says this, and people say it all the time, just be a man. What does that mean? What does that identity mean? Until I came to the church, and I got around some godly men, and they started showing me what it means to be a man. They started showing me it takes character to be a man. It's not just your DNA that makes you a man. It's your DNA that makes you a male, but it's not your DNA that makes you a man. It's your actions that... They taught me how to get up and pray. They taught me how to get up and go to work. They taught me how to get up and pay my bills. They taught me how to get up, amen, and take care of my family. They taught me how to get up and prepare for my ministry. They taught me how to get up. Hallelujah. And so when we come to church, we got to make sure we, we don't let the devil confuse us. Amen. The devil is, is, is the author of confusion, not God. And he wants to rattle us, and, and the world wants to rattle us, and media wants to rattle us. Amen. And so we get confused uh, and, on where we really stand. Amen. And now when we come to church, uh, amen, we come to church not knowing what we are. But it goes beyond the easily definable things like DNA. The identity goes back, amen, to who God made you to be. You are unique. The world wants to boil you down, make a brick out of you, and put you in society. Amen. But God made you and I unique, and every person's got a unique calling. Everybody's got unique gifts and abilities. Let me just help somebody. This is why you can't get frustrated that God didn't put you in the same places that he puts everybody else. That's a world mindset that says you can just climb up the ranks and just everybody fits into this category. You don't fit in a category. Why? Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are uniquely made. And God puts you where he wants you to be. And God anoints you how he wants you to be anointed. So don't be ashamed and don't be afraid and don't be bothered. If God don't put a mic in your hand, he might put a mop in your hand because you're better at it. And God might say, I'm going to anoint you, uh, amen, for such a time as this. Uh, and God will start speaking to you about starting a business. Uh, and, and it's all right. Uh, you are unique, uh, and you are called for that purpose. Amen. The callings of God are not so one-dimensional as we would like to think they are. The gifts and callings of God go well beyond that. God anointed some people to work with brass. Amen. There's some folks, 
Man, we got some folks, Brother Elder Johnson, anointed to play on the brass. But there's some folks that are anointed to work with the brass. There's some woodworkers in the house of the Lord. There's some people, amen, that they, they know how to they know how to clean things, amen. They know how to do certain things, uh, amen. You gotta you gotta figure out and help God, pray that God would help you to identify what is it about me that you are calling to? What is it about me that you want to use? What is it about me, uh, God? What is it that you put specifically in me that can be a blessing to your kingdom? That's what's going to make great people. Starts with being. So it starts out with correctly identifying. This is why the devil, the first thing he did when he came to Jesus, he, uh, he attacked him at his identity. If you are the son of God. It was never a question if he was the son of God. He was the son of God. But the devil comes by and starts questioning identity because if he can get Jesus to misidentify himself, he will not heal the sick. He will not raise the dead. And he certainly won't forgive sins and he sure won't go to Calvary. And so this is why the devil wants Jesus to be misidentified. And then as soon as he goes and, and questions whether or not he be, immediately he switches gears and says, now do this. Because if you are not, if you really are the son of God, then you should be turning stones into bread. If you really are the son of God, then you should be able to, you should be able to jump off this cliff and not fall because gravity shouldn't affect you. If you really are the son of God, you can stand up on the top of the mountain and you can bow your knee to me. I want to tell you, that's not the will of God. He knew exactly who he was, and he didn't have to prove it to nobody. Let me help somebody with being, with identity. I didn't mean to get off on this again, but we're here. I promise we're going to get to doing it. But I've got to help somebody. Amen. You don't have to prove to nobody who you are. You sure don't have to prove it to the devil. You don't. If God called you, if God spoke it over you, you just accept it. This is my identity in God. I don't have to prove it to anybody. I don't have to please nobody. I just got to be it. And all Jesus was concerned about was being the son of God, not proving he was the son of God. All he had to do, he didn't have to turn those stones into bread. All he had to do is keep on fasting when the devil said eat. All he had to do was keep on obeying the word of God when the devil wanted him to not. All he had to do was keep on standing when all of hell wanted him to bow. He had to keep being it. You cannot lower yourself. Amen. To be less than God has called you to be. The moment you lower yourself to being less than God called you to be, you have started to disqualify yourself. And that's exactly what the devil wants. He will come by and question your identity in God. This is why when we come to church, and we'll read the verse later, James says it's like a man staring in a mirror and beholding his natural face in a glass. And when he walks away, he forgets what manner of man or woman he is or she is. Amen. It's when we come to church that, that, have you ever had this happen? You come to church and all of a sudden the preacher's preaching or the song is being sung and all of a sudden God starts speaking some very direct things to your spirit. Am I the only one? <laughs> I hope there's more people that while I'm preaching, God's speaking to you. Amen. That even beyond the words which I say, the Holy Ghost is speaking some things into your spirit. And God will start telling you things. I've been in moments. I've had moments recently where God has started working me over. And, and where I did not have faith, God says, I, 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 there's faith there. You just need to pull on it. And God starts tugging on some things, amen, that are deep down in my being and deep down in my identity. Amen. And there's something about coming to church. There's something about coming to the altar where God starts pulling those things to the surface and the areas where we've misidentified God starts helping re-identify he starts recategorizing things about who you are and that's when we can start saying you know what this is not who I am this has got to go amen and now the challenge becomes after you go to the altar is aligning your actions with the identity that God has on you amen this is where the challenge comes in but I, I, I've got a good answer for us here today. The answer is Jesus. If you want to know what God has for you, look at Jesus. If you want to know the perfect, uh, the perfect path that God has for you, just look, amen, at Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know uh, all about the Bible, just, just study Jesus, and you will see John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. 
Amen. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1, 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. You can read this Bible backwards and forwards, and even when you get to the book of Revelations, when you get there, it's going to say this is a revelation of the Word. His name is Jesus. It's a perfect example. You can look at Jesus. Amen. If you're ever concerned and, or, or don't really know what you're supposed to be, you can look at Jesus. You can go back to Jesus, and Jesus said, amen, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And you can say, if that's who Jesus is, if that's what Jesus does, uh, that's what I need to do. A phrase they used to use earlier, and I'll probably preach about it one day. What would Jesus do? Uh, amen. If you ever question whether or not uh, your actions uh, are lining up to the identity God has for you, uh, you got to put Jesus in that category. And would Jesus... Because Jesus is a perfect representation. Amen. God in his identity is love. God in his identity is a savior. God in his identity is a deliverer. I could spend all night talking about God's identity. Amen. But I've saved those just to give us a couple examples. God is not just God in ideology. And God is not just God in theology. What I'm saying is God is not just a concept. And God is not just an idea. God is also an action. God is also what he does. God also acts. Because God is love in identity, he shows us his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was Calvary that showed his love. And the reason, it, didn't, it wasn't that he showed his love, just died for us and then became love. No, it's because his identification was love that he had no other choice but to die for those which he loved. His identity was manifested through his doings, through his actions. Jesus is not just a savior in songs, and he's not just a savior in ideology, but Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I know that's real deep for somebody. In other words, it's a verb. It's an action. It's not just who he is, but it's what he does as well. His identity was manifested through his actions, through his doings. Jesus is a deliverer, but it's not just, again, in concept, but Jesus delivers. Is there anybody here tonight that Jesus has delivered? Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus didn't become a deliverer the moment you got delivered. Jesus was a deliverer, and because he is a deliverer, he marches right into Egypt and says, let my people go. And because Jesus is in identity and in being, he is a deliverer. He'll walk right to where you are, addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, addicted to pornography, and say, come out from among them and be separate, and he'll pull you out. He manifests his identity through his actions, uh, through his doings. I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody ought to give God praise. I'm thankful it's not just a concept of deliverance. I'm thankful it's not just a concept of being a Savior, but I'm thankful he saves. I'm thankful he delivers. He's a healer, and that means he heals. I think somebody ought to give God praise. Amen. Don't just worship the identity uh, that is a concept or an idea. He will heal. He said, I am the Lord that healeth you. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody ought to lift up your hand. Come on, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Doesn't just mean a good concept, but that means he will provide for you. But my God shall supply all your needs. That's supply. That's an action. That's a verb. That's a doing. Somebody ought to clap your hands and shout with a voice of triumph. I think we ought to shout, thank you for acting, God. Thank you for acting. Thank you for being God, and thank you for acting, God. Hallelujah. I mean, Jesus is the express image of his person. Not persons. Just thought I'd throw that out there. It's he, not they. Not them. There's only one God. He was and is the Word made flesh. Not they are the Word made flesh. He is the identity in action. Jesus is everything that God has to say about himself. Jesus is God's being and God's doing on display all at once. He is grace and truth. Hosea 4 and 6, 
says my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Amen. I'm going to help us here today to connect the two ideas that Jesus is not only God in, in theology, but he's God in action. He's God in being, and he's God in doing as well. Because somewhere we've got to connect the two. Amen. We are not just to be God's chosen people. We are to do what God's chosen people are called to do. Amen. We cannot do what we do not know. Amen. You cannot do. Amen. Is there anybody in this room that never took calculus? Raise your hand. Okay, never. Never took calculus. All right, all right. I want you to get up here and start doing calculus. You can't do what you don't know. That's why you got to come to church on Wednesday nights as well as Sunday. That's why you're here tonight, because you can't do what you don't know. But you're here tonight so you can know. And you're here tonight so not only can you know, but you can do as well. There are three areas that we've got to grow in knowledge. The knowledge of God. 1 Peter 1 and 8 says, For if this be in you, speaking of all these things added to your faith, if this be in you, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you shall never fail. You shall never fall. I want to help you here today. The reason people are falling, amen, is because they don't have knowledge of God. Amen. They don't know. This is why David can bring the ark of God in on a cart and think it's acceptable and then use it dies at the threshing floor because they thought a new cart was sufficient. But the truth is they didn't know God wasn't okay with that. And there's people today that are dying for lack of knowledge because they don't know that God's not okay with some things. and They're doing things and they've been told by their grandma or their grandpa or somebody on social media, that's all right, that's okay, it doesn't really matter. And they're currently being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But when he got a knowledge of God and somebody went back and said, let's go back to the book and start reading about this, they found out the ark was never meant to go on a cart. It was meant to go on the shoulders of the priest. It was supposed to be on the shoulders of the man of God. Amen. They were supposed to carry it in and feel the weight of glory. And somebody had to bring the glory in. And the next time they did it, nobody died. The next time they did it, the glory manifested. What am I telling you here today? If we'll grow in the knowledge of God, he will keep you from falling. If we grow in the knowledge of God, you'll be better. If you grow in the knowledge of God, you'll be great in the kingdom. If we grow in the knowledge of God, the glory of the Lord will descend upon this house. And when the glory of the Lord descends upon this house, people will be healed. People will be delivered. I think we ought to give God praise. Hallelujah. Because if I don't know, if I don't know that you don't like onions and I make you a bunch of onions, amen, you won't eat them. And I'll f try to figure out what's wrong. This is where some folks, this is good marriage counseling. You start asking more questions <laughs> because you find out real quick there's some things that you thought was okay or that they, they enjoyed this and they enjoyed that. Like, I don't really like onions. My goodness. Well, I'm going to change that. We're not cooking those anymore. And, uh, and the same is true with God. If you know more about God, you can now start doing things that please God. And then you can get the favor of God. How many wants the favor of God this year? If you know God's not okay with that, you stop going certain places. God's not okay with that. If you know God's not okay with certain things, you stop watching certain things. You stop, you know, if God's not okay with certain conversations, you stop having them. You know God's not okay with gossip? You stop gossiping. You, you realize, I want the favor of God in my life more than I want your conversation right now. And you shut it down. But people that are ignorant, ignorant doesn't mean stupid. It means you don't know. If you are ignorant towards God, you will all of a sudden not be growing, and you'll start tripping over everything. Amen. That's why the Bible says, blessed are those that love your law, and nothing shall offend them. 
Amen. Because people that know the law of God, know the word of God, they've got enough, they've got enough foundation that it ain't going to trip them up. Amen. The preacher ain't going to trip them up because they got knowledge of the word. Somebody in the church ain't going to trip them up because they got knowledge of the word. Uh, amen. God himself, amen, coming by with a paddle and whooping up on them because they didn't do something right, chastening them, uh, spanking them so they can do better. Uh, amen. Those people don't trip up and backslide. They look at it and they say, God, uh, you got my best interest at heart. Why? Because I know about God. But I want to help you today. It's not just knowing about God. It's knowing God. It's spending time with God because there's some things that you can't read in his word, but you can experience in his presence. I'm not talking about things that contradict the word. I'm talking about those subtle cues of things that you pick up and God starts depositing things in your spirit. And it's not one of those black and white, amen, words of Christ in red that says thou shalt or thou shalt not. But God will start speaking to you about modern things that, that you can't find television in the Bible. But God will start speaking to you. Get that out of your house because it's hindering a move of the Holy Ghost. And God will start saying, you know that thing you got on your cell phone? You need to delete that app off your cell phone. You know that phone number you got in there? You got to get rid of that because it's not leading you closer to me. You know that hobby you've been involving yourself in that's not sinful? It's taking you away from the church. It's taking you away from the kingdom of God. It's taking you away from being blessed and favored. And because you don't just know about God, but you grow in your knowledge of God, you don't get tripped up and you're not destroyed and you start doing the things God wants you to do. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and let's pray. Come on, let's pray all across this house. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If we can grow in knowledge, we can grow in actions. If we can grow in knowledge, we can grow in our doing and uh, our activity as Christians, God. Hallelujah. Amen. So we must grow in the knowledge of God, and we must grow in the knowledge of our identity, what God has called us to be. This is going back to what I just talked about last week and a little bit tonight. Because we've got to pray to the place where we know what specifically God has for us. In fact, you find this with Moses. Moses comes in contact with God. He's born a Hebrew. He was raised by, by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in the palace. He was raised to be an Egyptian. He is confused. Like our world, he is confused. Who am I? And the moment God starts speaking to him at the burning bush, that's the first question that comes out of his mouth. Who am I? And God starts speaking to him, I am that I am. In other words, if you can get in the presence of God, even if you don't know who you are, God will start speaking to you about who he is. And then, after he gets done speaking to Moses about who he is, he starts showing Moses, now I'm going to send you back to be a deliverer to my people. Now I'm going to send you back, and you're going to be a voice, uh, amen, a mouthpiece to God unto Pharaoh and unto the people of God. Uh, amen. Moses, uh, you may not know who you are when you get in my presence, uh, but if you stay in my presence long enough, you'll get to know exactly who you are. We talked about it last week, Simon, Simon. He got a revelation of who Jesus was, and Jesus said, I say unto you, you're Peter. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He gets in the presence of God, and before it's said and done, he's no longer Saul that persecuted Christians. He's Paul the apostle. Amen. We, we got to get, get in the presence of God so we can really get an identity of, of who God has called us to be. And if we can get in the presence of God and get a word from God, and I'm talking about a solid word, not some somebody just walking by in the church and waving the hanky at you and telling you what they think. I'm talking about you got in the prayer room, you heard from God, and God spoke from very specific things over your life that don't contradict his word, don't contradict his spirit. And on part two praise God hey I know I'm preaching good when the mics start turning off amen somebody said the devil's not fighting you and the sound system goes off he said your, your sound system needs to be replaced and so and me just need to replace some batteries the devil ain't fighting us amen praise God somebody said hallelujah so if we can get time in the presence of God, God will show us exactly what he wants to be. We get in that prayer room. We hear from God. God speak to us. And then we start lining our doings, our actions up with what exactly God has spoken over us. 
Amen. Because if God has called you, amen, uh, let's just use this as an example. God called you to be a missionary. Amen. It's, it's, it may not be in the cards. It may not be in the will of God. Amen. For you to go off and do some other things. So when you have a true revelation of what God has called you to be, you don't settle for anything less than what God has called you to be. Amen. When you know what you're worth, you don't sell yourself for less. When the Bible talks about that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the kingdom of God is likened unto a pearl of great price, the kingdom of God is likened to a treasure in the field, amen, there's two parties involved. There's one that finds the treasure, recognizes what it's worth, sells everything he has, and buys it. And then there's a knucklehead that sells it for what the guy's paying because he thinks what he's getting is more valuable than what he's losing. Amen. There's some people that you are at the market tonight and you are selling your identity and you don't realize you are you are 24 carat. You are a solid piece of gold. You are a diamond that's more precious and you sell yourself short and the devil walks away as Proverbs says that the buyer walks away saying, ooh, I got a deal. I got a deal. I bought it low and I'm going to sell it high. They didn't realize what they have. This is why the Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not because when you get the truth it's got value somebody ought to clap your hands and give the Lord some praise in Jesus name because if we have knowledge of God we will do what God wants us to do if we have knowledge of what God has called us to be we will do what God has called us to be and finally when we have those things together we, we, we start obtaining a knowledge of our calling what he wants us to do what actions does he want us to take? Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, or in no case. Everybody say, no case. Amen. If there's no cases of healing, then there is no healing. In no case will you enter the kingdom of heaven. Everything I've ever read about the scribes and Pharisees is pretty bad. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is a pretty easy task, Jesus. For my righteousness to exceed those hypocrites. <laughs> but the truth is, righteousness means right standing, right doings, and being as you ought to be. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they had knowledge of God's word. Which is letting us know that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, there must be a balancing out of knowledge and enacting that knowledge. Because I dare anybody to have more knowledge than a Pharisee. If God's saying we've got to have more knowledge than people that could quote you the first five books of the Bible, I have, to, I have to set this mic down and tell you I don't know the first five books of the Bible backwards and forwards. I know it pretty well, but I can't quote it to you. And yet all the Pharisees, uh, they could quote it to you. Uh, they spent their entire lives uh, like a bunch of monks up in a monastery, uh, memorizing uh, and quoting uh, and memorizing and quoting. Uh, amen. But, but Jesus said, your righteousness has got to exceed that of the scribes uh, and of the Pharisees, uh, of the doctors uh, and of the lawyers uh, that spent all their time in synagogues debating one to another. Uh, amen. Whether or, not, uh, there was, whether or not there were giants that were nine feet tall or 18 feet tall uh, what, debating whether or not we're pre-trib, mid-trib or post-trib uh, and deba debating over things that don't really matter in the long scheme of things. Uh, this is what the scribes and the Pharisees did uh, and yet outside of their doors and outside of their four walls uh, amen, they could quote it, they could quote it, they could quote it uh, but there were people that they were not enacting the law of God with. I think we ought to pray all across the building in Jesus' name. Lift up your hands all across this house. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray all across this building in Jesus' name. Come on, let's pray. Hallelujah. We, we don't want to just hear all the best preaching and hear all the greatest teaching and hear every Bible verse in and out and just acquire it, acquire it, acquire it, and it never be put into action and it never be put into doing. I don't want to just hear the word. I want to do the word. I want to enact the word. 
Hallelujah. If our righteousness is ever going to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, even the scribes and Pharisees spent all day learning, studying, and gaining knowledge of what to do. And that's right. We can't exceed them if we don't at least match them. We've got to at least match the scribes and Pharisees. Amen. We always hear the negatives of them, but they did spend their time learning the law. They did spend their time praying. They did spend their time trying to do what's right in the eyes of God. Amen. But yet, they were not righteous. Even though they were righteous in what they knew, they were never righteous in their actions because they never did anything with what they knew. I've come to preach to us, if we're going to be great in the kingdom, Apostolic Revival Center, you, I'll put it this way, we have heard some of the greatest preaching in all the world. We have had some of the greatest prayer meetings. We have the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. We've got the greatest gift this world has ever known. We've got Acts 2.38. We've got John 3, 3 through 5. We've got Acts 1 and 8. But brothers and sisters... We've got to do something with what we got. I'm not content learning Hebrew. I'm not content learning Greek so I can debate with somebody about who's better in theology. I've got to do something with what God has told me. I'm not content coming to church on a Wednesday night and hearing teaching and preaching and Sundays hearing teaching and preaching for years and years and years and absorbing and absorbing and absorbing it, but never metabolizing it. If we're not careful, we will be nothing more amen, than people that are spiritually bulimic, which means you eat and then just throw it back up. You never metabolize it. It never becomes part of your being, and therefore it never becomes part of your doing. If we're going to be great in the kingdom, amen, we, we, we have the answer. Well, well, I just don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know. I promise you we know a whole lot more than we give ourselves credit for. I, I, I want to help you here today. Uh, we, we as a church, we go to conferences. We go to camps. We do those kinds of things. Those are good. I think those are in order. I think we need to go and we need to get a part of those things. Uh, but I have been to churches and I have preached in churches that I call conference churches. We're not even really live streaming right now, so this is all right. <laughs> Be, but I've been to places that are just conference churches. They hop from conference to conference, camp meeting to camp meeting. And it's just like you just know certain months out of the year, they're just going to go from conference to conference. And they just, they just absorb, 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 absorb. But they don't go home and do anything with it. They hear about loving their brother. They go cry at the altar. And then when the next time somebody offends them, they're ready to knock them out. They have heard, they have read about scriptures that they have been taught. And I, I've been there myself at times. And they hear all these great sermons and they shout and huck a buck at the conference. But come time to come home to their church and do something with what they heard, they lose out. I want to help this church be a great church. We're not just going to be a great church. We're going to do great church things. Sometimes doing great church things uh, means we put on a thing for the children uh, and we just let them know that there's a God that loves you. Uh, it might seem a little silly to some people, but I'll tell you what we're doing. Uh, we're trying to make the gospel palatable uh, to the next generation. Amen. Enacting what God has told you is a whole lot different than knowing what God has told you. Now, you can't enact what you don't know. You can't do what you don't know. But the moment we know... This is why the Bible says that to whom much is given, much shall be required. And that's why the Bible says that those that, that teach the word of God, that upon us that labor in word and doctrine, yes, there is double honor. But the Bible says that we will receive the greater condemnation. The most dangerous thing I could do for you tonight is preach to you and not live it myself. The most dangerous thing I could do, as Paul would say, lest I preach to others and I myself be a castaway. This is why he wrote to Timothy and said, oh, my son, Timothy, he said, go, you do it, you teach, you preach, you rebuke, you exhort long-suffering and doctrine, for in doing so, you will save both yourself and those that hear you. We've got to teach, we've got to preach. Amen. But we have got to do something with it. 
Everybody say, do it. The fact the Pharisees and the scribes had no problem with the word of God. I'm, I'm coming to a close right here. Amen. In fact, you can stand all across this building. The Pharisees and scribes had no problem with the word of God. They could quote it. But they had a problem when the word became flesh. There are people that have no problem with the word of God until that scripture has to be applied. Every promise in the book is mine until it comes time to be rebuked. And then it's not really a great verse. I'm not a fan of that one. Every verse in the book is mine until it says, if you want the devil off your back, you got to first submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And the Pharisees had no problem with the word. They thought the word was awesome. In fact, I would venture to say they probably shouted if we could put them in modern context and said, amen, preacher. Yeah, we do need to love our neighbor until they cut you off in traffic. They had no problem with the word until it became flesh. They had a problem with the identity of God that was showcased in Jesus Christ's actions because he was not just the being of God, the express image of his person, but his actions lined up with his identity. And they had all these lofty things. Everybody had to jump through all these hoops so that they could be seen in a certain light by the Pharisees and the scribes. But yet, when Jesus showed up, and he started eating with publicans and sinners, people that could not repay him. They said, he's a sinner himself. Because the way they had seen the word of God is the word of God was meant to be preserved. The word of God was meant to be hold, held onto like a fragile egg that we don't want to break it. When the truth is, Jesus showed up and said, the word is a seed that is to be planted. And except that seed fall to the ground and die. It abides alone. And this Jesus showed up and said, what thank have you if you invite over your friends? Invite over the public and sinners, people that can't repay you. Jesus showed up and said, I say unto you, bless those that curse you. If they strike you on one cheek, turn the other. If they ask you to go one mile, go two. And Jesus was not just speaking the word, but when it came time to live the word and act out and do the word, he not only took the cross, he put it on his own shoulders and walked up a hill for you and I. Romans 1, 2 and 13 says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law. James 1 and 22 says, But be you doers of the word, not only hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of this work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. I want to help us here today to understand God is not acting, asking us to act out of ignorance. Nor is he telling us to do or to act for the sake of acting. Nowhere does God pull from Nike the slogan, just do it. Just do what, God? God puts in his word what he wants us to do. When we pray, God will speak to us and tell us what we ought to do. God doesn't just tell us, just act. Because we don't want to be of those that equate busyness with effectiveness. Because they are not the same. Apostolic Revival Center, we are called to be a great church. We are called to be a great church. That's our identity. But let me help us get our actions to line up with our identity. Our identity does not mean we are just busy, so busy we don't have time to actually do anything for God. Amen. It means what we do is important. What we do is effective. And we put all of our efforts and energy into that which pleases God, into that which is effective. Some people, they don't know what to do with themselves when they get slowed down. God gave us a day of rest for a reason, because rest is worship too. Sometimes we got to slow down and realize this is a fruitless effort, and I need to stop doing that. This is just busy work, so I need to stop doing that. Our doing must be intentional and proportional to what we know. 
if God has shown it to you, if God has taught it to you, if you have heard it taught, if you have heard it preached, if you have taken it in and absorbed it to yourself, God now says, now go and do it. The Bible says that herein is the love of God that you keep his commandments. I'm not just talking about the Ten Commandments of His Word. But when God starts speaking to you and I about laying some bitterness on the altar and just forgiving people, letting it go, and just, man, just be the kind of person that just, they struck me on one cheek, but I'm going to turn the other cheek. And God starts speaking. I'm not saying it's easy. Listen, we're all there. I'm not preaching above where I am. I'm there too. I've got God speaking to me about all sorts of things. But here's where I'm going to be judged by God. Here's where my love of God comes into effect. If I take what he tells me to do, and I do it. Jesus tells a parable of two brothers, two sons. The one that was told by his father to do something, he smiled and said, yeah, I'll go do it, and did not do it. And the other one that said, no, I'm not going to do that, but went away, felt convicted, and did what his father told him to do. And Jesus asked the question, Who was the doer? Who was the doer of the will of his father? And everybody had to answer, the one that did it. Church, we are being called to be great. And that calling of greatness, it is in our DNA, it is in our identity. But now, this is where the rubber meets the road. Not just tonight, I'm not even preaching for tonight, I'm preaching for our future. I'm preaching for future services as well. I'm preaching for where God's taken us. We've got to enact. When God gives you a promise, you hold on to that promise and start enacting it. When God plants a word in your heart, you take that word, you plant it as deep, and you water it, and you just keep on going. That's how people grow in God. Let's lift up our hands and let's pray. I'm done teaching, preaching. God's calling for doers. God's calling for doers. Hallelujah. God's calling for people to take what they have heard And say, God, I don't just want to hear it week in and week out, but God, I want to apply it. And God, when I read your word and I see something that maybe it just kind of rubs me a little wrong because I know I'm kind of currently living contrary to what you've said. and Not even sinful, but just contrary to what you've put in that book. God, I pray that you would convict me. And maybe I walked away with a bad attitude, said I don't want to do that. I pray God convict me as I go. And God, bring me back to the altar where I'll come back and say, yes, God, yes. Yes to your will. Yes to your ways. Yes to your word. I'll obey what you have told me to do. At the end of this life, there is one phrase everybody's looking for. Elder Bobo, you know the phrase you're looking for? It's the same one I'm looking for at the end of this all. Well... Done. I'll preach it harder at a different time. Well done starts with well do. And at the end of it all, if God has called me to be great, if he saw you and I and said, you're a five-talent church, but we act and think that we're a one-talent, bury-it-in-the-world kind of church, and we do nothing with it, we don't occupy till he comes, He'll come and he'll say, you slothful, lazy servant. Wicked is also what he calls him. Which means to not do what God has told us leaves us in a place of being wicked. And there's nobody in this building, I think, that wants to be wicked. There's nobody in this building. I don't think there's anybody lazy in the church. I think everybody's hardworking. Amen. But we've got to do. We've got to enact. Amen. If we want to be great in the kingdom, it starts by doing. Amen. Let's lift up our hands. I want to open up this altar. Do what God has called you to be. Do, enact what God has called you to be. It's in your DNA. It's in your identity. But now it comes to the point where we enact it, God. We enact it. Oh, woe unto me, as Paul said, if I preach not, if I do not preach the gospel. If God called you, amen, to minister to somebody, don't hold it back. You go and you preach that gospel. If God is speaking to you to involve yourself in the kingdom, don't 
sit back and rest in your laurels. Enact yourself in the kingdom. If God's given you gifts, talents, and abilities, you need to say, God, show me how and show me where to do these gifts and to use these abilities. Come on, I want to hear well done. I want to hear well done. I want to hear well done. How about you? Come on, I want us to pray in this house in the name of Jesus. I want us to pray in this house. Hallelujah. I don't want to just absorb, absorb, absorb and never let it come back out of me, God. I don't want to just absorb, absorb, absorb and not metabolize and not make a part of who I am and not do something with it, God. Come on, somebody pray right now. Maybe there's some actions that aren't lining up to what God called you to be. You can repent over them right now. Maybe there's some things God's told you to do, but you have not yet done them. You can pray and ask God to help you do them so that at the end you can hear, well done. The task I gave you, you accomplished it. The word I spoke over you, you fulfilled it. Well done. Well done. Well done. Somebody pray right now. I just want Somebody pray in this house. Come on, right where you are. God, what would you have me 
Come on, somebody praise. We sing that again. Come on, there's some folks. You, God's been speaking to you for a while. Arise and be doing. Arise and be doing what he said. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's love him all across this building. Come on, let's lift up, lift up our voices and pray for a few more moments. Come on, this is a great church. ARC is a great church. And on the path to greatness of who we are called to be, there's some things we're going to be called to do. Acts of greatness. Hallelujah, acts of greatness, and they're not always seemingly great acts. Uh, sometimes they're menial tasks. They don't seem like a whole lot, but that's what God has called. Uh, and those, those little acts make great moments. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I think sometimes we complicate God. What's the will of God? And we make it so ambiguous. Somebody said it best, the will of God is often the present task at hand. You know, there's always the universal will of God. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We'll talk about that next time we, next time I teach, we're going to talk about duplication. Amen. Go find somebody and give them what you learned. Amen. We'll talk about that next time. But there's this idea that, that, that God is, because God's so big, that he doesn't often ask small things. But you look all the way through the Bible, and just every task God ever gave was a small task in, in the scheme of God. Now, to man, it might have seemed pretty extreme. But God asked of small things. Just give me a little oil, a little bread, a little fish and loaf. I just need a little bit. It's a mustard seed. It's small. And when you give it to God and you do what God, that little bit of obedience of just saying, yes, God does something great with it. We all love David slaying Goliath. But you know where David starts? Taking care of stinky sheep on the backside of the mountain. He was just doing the little thing his father had asked. And moments of greatness come, from come to people who are busy doing the little things their Father in Heaven has asked them. 
Great things don't come to people that are only looking for great things. I'm just waiting on my moment, Pastor. I'm just waiting on my opportunity. You keep on waiting. It's never going to show up. But the person that looks around and sees a little piece of trash on the ground and says, this is my church too. And they pick it up and they take it to the trash can. And, oh, you know what? I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray a little bit today. And, and they just do the little things, take care of the little things that God has asked them to do. You watch God exalt those people, humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God and in due season. I'll talk about this at another time. But you know that the, the biggest difference between Saul and David, I, I usually ask this to young ministers. The first image you have of Saul in the Bible he lost his father's donkeys. The little task his father asked, he was such a big, tall, strong guy, it was just below him. He lost it. He just, he lost the donkeys, and he seeks for a prophet to help him find them. The first image you have of David, he's taking care of little sheep. And when David showed up at the battle to fight Goliath, Saul said, what qualifications do you have? And everybody misses it. They think it's because he's just some, some spiritual guy. He says, I was keeping the father's sheep. And the moment he said, I was doing something. Saul, who knew he had never got that lesson down to take care. He couldn't even take care of little Amalekites. The little things that God asked him to do. He couldn't even take care of those things. He recognized greatness and said, this guy's great. Amen. All of my employers, you look at the person that takes care of the little details. As a pastor, I look for that. I look for people that are taking care of the little things. Amen. The little character flaws that they had a moment ago, they got rid of them because they know that wasn't helping them. And the little tasks, they start doing them. And those are the people that God looks down and says, I'm going to exalt that. Because you thought nobody saw it, but I saw it and said, well done. Church, if we want to be great, it's time to arise and be doing. Amen. Let's lift up our hands one more time and let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, amen, that you have deposited this in my spirit, God. And I, I know it's for our church. And God, I know you've called us to be a great church. I know this is a great church. And God, you're calling us to greater heights and greater depths. And Lord, I pray that tonight we would look back in our Rolodex of all of the things we've ever learned and all the things we've ever been taught and all the knowledge we've gained, God, and all the things we know we could be doing and should be doing and all the things we know we shouldn't be doing, God. And we start putting things in their proper order and their proper perspective, God. Uh, I pray that this church, uh, amen, from this moment forward, uh, God, those that have already been doing, that they would continue doing and be not weary in well-doing. Uh, and, God, I pray for those that maybe have taken a back seat, uh, amen, and not been doing, God, that this message tonight would just get down in our bones uh, and that, Lord, you would inspire us and encourage us to arise and be doing in these last days. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Shake hands, be friendly, love one another. Let's come back this Father's Day, amen, Sunday, and let's have a great time. In Jesus' name, God bless you.